Okay, this this intro I decided to to blend our intros. Are you ready? Howdy, internet. <laughs> greetings. Internet. I made myself laugh. Greetings. <laughs> Howdy, internet. Greetings, internet. All right, this uh, this episode should be a juicy a juicy one, uh, a riveting conversation. Uh, so we're gonna talk through what we loosely call our power brokers or our power players or our most influential companies in, in semiconductors. So we both, we both published on this. Um, I wrote a post a little over a year ago called the Silicon big five. Um, I took a lot of flack for who was not on that list, but I'll just briefly lay out my, my theory. So I looked at it from really who, who had the, who made the brains. So just thinking that, you know, the brains is one of the most important parts of any computer, data center, car, you know, client, smartphone, et cetera. And that is then CPU and GPU, right? Two parts, two parts of, of that equally. But I also used my logic of who had proprietary IP or innovations around those two areas that were essentially in some area of control or influence or power with, within the industry. And I took that, you know, even a little bit further in um, just looking at why, you know, why CPU and GPU, because obviously, right, the, everything we make is a symbiotic relationship and it requires a lot of different coprocessors, memory controllers, um, you know, power management, et cetera. But the back of a lot of the innovation that we see, you could argue most of the innovation that we see from apps to data services, developers writing tools for X, you know, innovating is generally on, you know, the CPU and the GPU. People aren't writing apps for memory controllers or display drivers, uh, et cetera. So if you point to the kind of things that spur innovation or drive innovation, it comes from the advancements of companies who do something interesting and unique, or in this case, proprietary in CPU and GPU. So because of that, my list was in no particular order, um, Apple, Qualcomm, Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA. So that was my broad thesis. You you include some companies that people gave me flack for for not including on my list, which I think is a good a good form of discussion because I don't want to discredit right the innovations of, of everybody. But that was that was my logic for laying out who I had on that list, who I thought was influential and was sort of the spear of innovation. And again, had something that was proprietary, uh, defensible, and uh, and really unique in terms of, of their differentiation, in this case, an architecture for CPU or GPU. So there you go. That was my, that was my broad explanation that people don't have to read because I just explained it, but I think I did a better job talking about it than reading it. Maybe I won't take as much flack this time. So I, I published first on this, on a similar topic in, I looked it up in 2015, but I used a slightly different, 2015. I used a slightly different criteria though, right? Because in 2015, okay. everything was collapsing. The whole industry was consolidating. And so I was like, right. well, who's going to be, who's going to be left in 10 years. And every few years since then, I've updated that list. And after I saw your post, I updated it and I have a different list. 
So it's a different criteria. Um, I'm looking for. I want to hear your list for 2015. Give me your list from 2015. I'll 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 look it up. Um, where to go? But yeah, or so loosely just name a few of them. It's fine. I'm just curious who who yeah. you had pegged. <laughs> who was on my list? Almost All ten right. years ago. Intel, Qualcomm, Broadcom, TI, and NXP. Okay. And I love I love that I had NXP on that list because like like six months later Qualcomm was trying to buy them. Right. Almost did. Right. What an yeah. acquisition that would have been. Almost. <laughs> Almost. So my updated list is Oh, where'd it go? Um, my updated list is Qualcomm, ADI, and Texan. Two, two, but I'm counting them as one. The analog duopoly. Yep. NVIDIA. Some Chinese company, to be determined. And whoever ends up with the smoldering ruins of what is today Intel. Okay. So walk us through, walk me through your criteria. My criteria is, is sur- survivor. Who's going to survive? Survival, right? Who, okay. Which companies have the staying power to, that are still going to be in the industry 10 years from now, right? And so I, I took uh, Broadcom off this list. They've been on it since I did it. I took Broadcom on this list, off this list because they're not a semiconductor company anymore. They're a private equity fund. And at some point, private equity funds like to exit things. Right. And so at some at some point that will get dismantled. That's my theory. Okay. Right. Okay. Um Qualcomm, I think we both agree on that one. Qualcomm stays on that list. Yeah. Right. Yep. Just, you know, Apple can have a modem, Qualcomm's still gonna make many more of them. Uh yep. NVIDIA. We both agree on NVIDIA. NVIDIA. Yep. If anything, NVIDIA just looks stronger than it ever has. NVIDIA was not on my original yes. list. And I remember, I remember, like, as soon as I published, I was like, oh, I forgot about NVIDIA. But 2015 NVIDIA looked very different. Right? It yep. was a GPU yep. company then. It wasn't, like, GPU, right? GPUs weren't taking over the world yet. But right. I, I remember thinking I probably should have had them on. Sure. But I, I agree. NVIDIA, NVIDIA is, I think fits both of our criteria really well. Yep. Yep. And I, 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 I like your addition of Apple to the list. Like it's a little, it's a little funky. It doesn't fit in my criteria, but I think if you're ever going to talk about semiconductor companies, you have to include Apple. They're the best, yeah. they're the best run semiconductor company on the planet right now. Yes. So what, so why, why were why did you include, um, uh, Sorry, did you say it was ADI? I include, uh, yeah, so I kind of cheated. I had, it's a top five list with actually six names on it. I say ADI and Texas Instruments. Okay. Come, come on. Okay. Okay. Yeah, not, not like they're going to so, merge, but just like the both of them are going to be up, around for a right. long time. So I'll tell you the two companies that I took flack from that aren't on your list too and kind of just... Tell me, tell me why perhaps you didn't include them, right? I, I, I know why I didn't. Um, one of them's ARM, and the other one was TSMC. And other people said you should include ASML, because obviously ASML's probably not going anywhere. Um, 
But anyway, I, I have based on my criteria of kind of who controls the dominance and the influence, those are ingredients to me um, than necessarily the spears of the innovation. But obviously, nobody, nothing, no one goes anywhere without without those three companies. But I'm curious, do you, what's your take on that? Do you do you foresee a different future for those three companies? So I, I sort of I, I view TSMC and ASML at this point as like foregone conclusions. Like they don't even you don't even need to put them on the list. We're just all can okay. assume that they're not going anywhere. Um, right. Yeah, I, I can't like I can't even conceive of a world in which ASML is not crucially important. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whatever, whatever. 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 When we get to FUV, right? Who knows? Mm. Who knows? Whatever comes next, maybe. But like, that's all. That's uh, like literally made up. So, right. So those those two are are solid. They're not going anywhere. I can't see absent geopolitical madness. Those two are rock solid. I, yeah. I will push. I will push back a little bit on ARM. Um. Okay. I, I get how they would fit in your criteria of platforms upon which other people innovate. Um, but I, I think that's, you know, very much in question right now. Mm. Is ARM, is, right, ARM, is, is ARM going to be around in 10 years? Probably. Mm. But, you know, there's, there, there's an alternative now. There's RISC-V, which is, you know... Uh, I, I don't think Risk Five will entirely displace ARM, but I do think sure there there is a, a going to be a growing tension between the two, and it's not clear who's yes. who's going to really hold that power, right? Plus, yes, you know, ARM. I think ARM has given up some really important markets like IoT and embedded. I don't think yep. they're coming back. Uh, I yep. think they're at risk in uh, AI inference. A lot of low-cost devices on it will be AI inference engines. They're going to need something cheap like RISC-V, and that works pretty well. It's cleaner. Yep. So I think yep. I think there's a lot of reasons to, to question having an arm on that. Interesting. List. Interesting. Right. Plus, That's good. Plus, I mean, I, I would... I was going to say, plus, plus there's lots of confusion right now about what their ultimate model is, right? Yeah. You have, you have Qualcomm openly saying that they want to port all their mobile libraries to RISC-V in 10 years over 10 years. Yep. I'm not sure. Uh, that may just be posturing ahead of the lawsuit, but still, like, the fact that they're even talking about that publicly is yep. a big question mark. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, and, and obviously, right, three of my five are ARM architecture licensees. I have, I have always tended to favor ARM architecture licensees over um, standard architecture implement implementations. Not to say that what MediaTek does is not good or innovative or obviously, right, Broadcom and Marvell are now more in generic IP than um, than custom architectures, more, more so than they used to be. Um, it just seems like, like we talked about, a number of themes in past episodes of how to control your destiny, you really need to do something different. Doing something different does require some architecture and you know, that's why Qualcomm's going back to custom architectures. That's the whole point of the Nuvia acquisitions. It's, it's actually one of the reasons why I'm quite optimistic about Qualcomm's future is because they're reinvesting now in a custom architecture that's going to allow them to be innovative, di differentiated, 
take a unique core, something that stands out from others, compete on it, um, you know, really push its innovation and push it into many markets. Like that's a strong spot, right? A lot like Apple, but supplying that that type of quality architecture to a various number of of companies. So, you know, again, it kind of feels like, yes, ARM's there, but some of the most important people pushing the ecosystem forward are architecture licensees doing their own architecture on top of the ARM instruction set. So I, you know, not, not to say that it's not irrelevant to ARM, but I'm just placing the power back in those who have, who have control of their architecture. And then again, are building the innovation engines on top of what they've designed, right? Both to the degree on, on top of ARM. All right. Let me, let me push back on that because one, I think there is a, there's just a bias in the sampling then if you're saying that most innovative companies are the ones with architectural licenses by definition the only people who can afford architectural licenses are the biggest biggest companies mm-hmm. and so it's true it's true i, I don't i i i'm worried that we like we we don't want to fall in that trap of just saying bigger is more innovative cuz that's 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 contentious but the other thing is by by your logic then if architectural licenses are the future to innovation then that argues very heavily in favor of risk five becoming more important, especially if ARM really goes down this path, like they're r- rumored to of like cutting off architectural licenses. Yep. I mean, I, so, so one, you're, you're right in, in it, 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 it moves the bias. I just don't have a good example of somebody who, you know, again, not to just say what, what media tech does, isn't innovative, but there's not an, there's not a ton of, proprietary technology there. And there's not going to be another MediaTek. Like somebody else isn't going to show up and displace MediaTek. Like MediaTek is entrenched as the largest, um, you know, arm arm shipper of, of chips at volume. And they put together things cleverly. And in fact, one of the things they have that is actually one of the most, in my opinion, the most differentiated piece of IP is their PMIC, their um, power management IC. But the cores themselves, right, are just whatever ARM puts out you know, they sort of just turn around and, and implement them. That, that, that's why, you know, you look at what, and, and honestly, like Marvell and, and Qualcomm, I mean, and Broadcom used to be in that camp. They used to do a lot. They were custom architecture licensees and they've stewed away from that. And obviously Qualcomm went back to a semi-ish custom and now they're going back to custom. Just again, because for the same point that I agree with you, Risk Five is going to become more influential is just because people have to, control their destiny. And I don't know if you saw the news a couple of days ago, it's, it's rumored, maybe you knew about this. I don't think I knew about it. Um, Google's pretty close to their own um, custom ARM chip for data centers. And I'm pretty sure they're an architecture licensee and it will come out that that is now, now Amazon's not, I think you've made the point that what Amazon's doing in, in Graviton is, is innovative. They're just shipping standard IP Um but they weren't on either one of our, our lists either, but they're also doing it in a very, very specific implementation. So, I mean, I do agree. It skews people who can afford it, which as we've talked about is not a lot, but it does lead to where I think, you know, I do agree that risk five becomes a much more important platform for people to design their own solutions and then, um, and then use that to much more differentiate the sums because it's only going to get more competitive, not less. And that's why I think skews to these much more custom implementations. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I'll tell you, actually, I struggled a little bit with MediaTek. I, I, 
I wanted to put them on my list. Okay. But I couldn't quite figure out where to put them in. So I kind of I threw them in as an honorable mention. Right. Partly because the whole point is there's consolidation taking place and they're right. in a t- different different ecosystem. They're not yep. gonna get consolidated away. No. Nope. Um, but but I think you make it's it's a fair point. Like they're they're not an architectural licensee. They're not known for their sort of really, really forward thinking disruptive innovation. Yeah. To, to, to be honest really, with you, at least, I, at least in, in terms of Silicon architecture, I think their, their business model was really, was really, it's great. The way they Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And, and I mean, again, and they're dominant in several er- several categories. I mean, they're the leader in IOT in terms of volume. They have the majority of shares. I think it's 75, maybe 80% in smart TVs. Nobody's going to displace them from smart TVs. And obviously they ship a ton of smartphone parts in the sub $500 market and they could move up, right? It's And honestly, like I actually think if if there was enough quality architects out there that MediaTek could get, I actually think that they would strongly consider becoming an architecture licensee and doubling down on unique innovations around CPU, probably CPU, probably not necessarily GPU. But I, I wouldn't think that's off the table if they could hire the people. I just don't think they can build that team. And, and and arguably Qualcomm couldn't build that team without buying it, which I think is is fascinating because again they used to have a custom core, and I was I was completely against like I argued with their management for at length and to the point that like they got I got in trouble with them. They were like you know stop badgering us, you're you're annoying. But I was like you can't you should not step away from your architecture your arch your pr- custom architecture because it's gonna hurt you against Apple. And sure enough, it did, and now they're back. They're back in that game, um, but they acquired a team to do it. You know, I think that's telling, like how hard it is, like it, to get the kind of architects that can go and do these things. Now, again, maybe Risk Five gets a, a little bit easier. You don't need the, quite the manpower, but you know, the best CPU architects you know in the world aren't aren't just sitting on a couch. They don't have a without a job. Like they're employed somewhere. So you you have you have to acquire these teams to do this stuff. Yeah, you you struck a nerve there, because I I I know that the uh, Qualcomm architecture team, and they they all get let go, and literally overnight, they got jobs. All what of three four hundred of them, all got jobs overnight at AMD, Nvidia, and Microsoft. Microsoft. So, yeah. So Microsoft's yeah, yeah. Microsoft got some architects, huh? See, that's a question yeah. I want to get to at some point. Not now, because it's not on our list, but like, when's Microsoft going to start making custom cores? You know I mean? Again, you got a- you got AWS doing it. You got, obviously, Google doing it. Um, the person we have on our list, uh, NVIDIA, is, you know, making a data center CPU on their own architecture license. Like, that's not going to be a generic IP. That's a huge deal, you know? And so it's like, it. it you look at who... Who who's caught these pieces and you know and again and I, and I do want to focus on Nvidia actually for a little bit so maybe we'll come back to that but my point about Microsoft is like why everybody else seems to be making custom chips like where's the Azure I know you guys have an architecture license I know it's not public but I know you have one it's it's rumor too like no one can confirm this with me I just have a very strong belief so I'm not saying something that's not very strong belief that Google and Microsoft have them but no one's confirmed that. Um, but yeah, they they could right. They could make they could make their own cores. Yeah, let, let's let's that's sounds like a really good podcast. Other topic, yeah. Future. We'll, so we'll, we'll look at the data, the cloud, the hyperscalers. 
let's let's so talk I'm, about so let's talk about Nvidia. So I, I I mean, you look at them and I'm like every time you know the stuff that's going on with with AI, right? With chat GPT and this boom that we're seeing and how hard it is to own a foundational model and it's all happening on Nvidia like I just don't see anybody even really threatening their dominance. You know, like I keep racking my brain, like who's going to come in? And I mean, they have, I want to say north of 80% share in GPU in, in the data center for all this, for all this stuff. And in ML specific tasks, it's probably quite a bit higher, but like, I don't, I don't see, like see them. I saw somebody tweet the other day, like it's like a sure bet that uh, NVIDIA becomes a trillion dollar company, which is probably, probably likely. But I'm just curious, like, I mean, do you, who, who could even challenge their dominance in the data center? Like, I just don't, I just don't see it. I mean, their only competition, I think, is uh, internal silicon, homegrown silicon. That's who they compete against. And, but and, on the and, GPU? And we're not like seeing who? that in the GPU. But, no, but we're, we are seeing it in, GPU in the data center isn't for graphics, right? It's for AI. So right. we're seeing, you know, TPUs instead of GPUs. That's That's the only competition there i i'll tell you in in the training market i think their share is you know close to it's i think it's above 90 yeah it's close to 100 right i i think google has some has a has a tpu skew that does some training and and amazon has trainium but other than that like i think even those companies do most of their training on on nvidia, NVIDIA. and that's that's a pretty sizable that's a huge market and it's really nice margins and then on data center inference, yeah, even even companies that have accelerators still use a lot of GPUs. Yeah, in, in inference can move to CPUs. I would agree with you with it. There's parts that can be can be accelerated. It, it just feels like everything they've done. CUDA is so entrenched now in yeah. deep learning applications, which was one of the smartest things. I mean, I've been in lots of rooms with Jensen when he just rattled off stuff that I was like. That's one of the smartest things I've ever heard. And you're just building his logic for GPGPU compute and why he was so convinced that GPUs are the best general purpose um, technology in terms of just compute everything. Like I was just sold by his vision. Like, I mean, you know, when, you, when you're in a room with the guy and you're listening to him, you're already captivated. But like, I was like, dude, that's exactly right. Like you're, you've nailed it. This is exciting. Like I'm totally on board. And then the whole strategy for CUDA and how wide it went is just the whole thing. Like it's... Yeah, they are. I think it's. I think it's a little ironic because CUDA didn't wasn't created for this. Like they all. That's almost, true. They almost stumbled into it. That's true. CUDA was for a very specific other pain point fifteen years ago. Yep. And and it just so happened it was just what the market needed for AI. And so what they're doing with it now is genius, and they're they're nurturing and taking care of it. But like it it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a visionary plan. Right. Um, I, I also, I think, I, I, it's what makes Jensen really int- interesting and also somewhat controversial is most semiconductor CEOs, well, one, they're mostly male, which is a whole other episode, but most of these guys are, they come up from the engineering side and they're very good with the technical details, but they, they don't always hit with vision and and jensen is really really good on big picture stuff and i think what makes yep. him so dangerous is that he can do he can do both he's not right. some flashy vision salesman Ooh, big picture big picture he understands the details really well also yeah uh, but 
but the fact that he can do both, I think though every every cycle it gets him in trouble, right? Because he really like every time I hear him speak, he wants to talk about the big vision, right? And you know, meanwhile, investors, customers, channel partners are really interested in like <laughs> looks like a lot of inventory in the channel. Uh, should we do something about that? Like, right? There's a right. little bit of a disconnect every every cycle. He gets out over his skis on this. He does, but he does, but but that's that's me quibbling around the edges because. The, the the big vision looks, you know, the 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 product roadmap and the business model is just sound. I mean, that's the thing. Like, they're that's a very good company, well, very very well positioned for the long haul. Um, and again, wow. what they're going to do in CPU, I think, is going to be even very even more interesting. So, from what I've heard, and you know, heard I, of other, I, I agree because I because I, I remember when they when they announced their CPU at the at their last analyst day. Like that wasn't even sort of top ten headline for yep. from coming out of their event. Like, oh, and by the way, we're doing a CPU too. Like, uh, to me, that was like, like that could be really, really powerful. And it just like shows they had this whole they they know what they're going. They're going after the data center. So let's do a, a CPU too. We're gonna have our salespeople pitching our GPUs and our networking yep. stuff. Let's yep. just throw in a CPU too. Yep, and we're both pretty bullish on ARM's opportunity in the data center and. As Nvidia being a company that drives that tied to the GPU side could be super super interesting. So yeah. yeah, all right. So then I'm curious what you think then scenario wise happens with AMD. Are they just do they stay small? Is it the kind of thing where I mean again right their only products are really just going to be data center CPU GPUs and client CPU GPUs and in desktop computers right they don't have a lot beyond that. So I think AMD is is in a good place now. I'm just not as comfortable where they are sort of long-term. I, I think they, they've benefited in the last seven, eight years from two important things. One is they have Lisa Sue as CEO. And I think she is hugely underrated as a CEO. I mean, she really yeah, turned it around. Agreed. Right? I mean, for, for guys like our age, in the back of my head, I always think, oh, AMD, they're going to mis-execute, right? Because for most yep. of my life, they were missing that's, product cycles. That's, that's right. Right. They haven't done that since she's been CEO. I mean, she's completely yep. turned around that culture, which is a huge, huge accomplishment. The other thing that's benefited them is they've been able to eat Intel's lunch, yep. especially, especially in the data center. And at some point, that runs out. Either because Intel comes back, not going to happen. Or, or they just like get to, you know, as they get 80% of the market. Yeah. And, and, you know, and we talked about this last time, like the, the, the data center CPU market is, is, you know, shrinking as a share of wallet. Yeah. So, so then now the question becomes the vision. What's sort of the big picture vision. And I think they're, they're taking the right steps, right? They're, they are broadening their their product portfolio. They have FPGAs. They have you know other stuff coming in. They don't have quite as comprehensive of uh, a lineup portfolio yep. as Nvidia does. Yep. Um. They certainly don't have that's that dominance in a- anything AI. Like they've they really haven't tapped into that because they don't have CUDA. Right, they, they and they're, they're saying all the right things. Like they're talking about custom silicon and supporting customers, and like doing all the things that you should have looked at as sort of strategy one hundred and one, yeah. the semiconductor industry. Like these are all things we need to do to prepare. But 
they're not really dominant or proven in a lot of those. Yeah. And so I think they're doing a great job, but I think there are a lot of questions about sort of what comes next. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. I, I think, you know, again, they they have some some good IP. You're totally right. They've benefited from a combination of very good execution, which which is coupled with um, a very good architecture. Because if you recall, they botched the prior one, which was Bulldozer. That was a hot mess. That got fixed with Ryzen. Ryzen solved a lot of problems and was a was was a a very very good modern architecture at the right time. They didn't have to price themselves low. They were still a, now a pre, more premium pricing player in data center. And so all those things combined with, with Lisa's execution helped. I, I would say, you know, again, right, their upside, like you said, is can they take share from Intel in CPUs in the desktop, you know, client notebooks, as well as the data center? While, while I agree with you, I don't think, you know, at least, I'm, at least it's current execution plan scenario wise, maybe Intel can take some back, but they're not going to take it all back. Even if they don't take any back, I'm not sure Intel bleeds that much more share with some of the products that they have coming, but they're probably not going to get that back. So let's say Intel stays at 70 ish percent, right in client and in, uh, and in the data center, again, not huge volumes, but certainly not, not, not full death, but AMD's growth story has to be to absorb what, like get 50% of that, right? Or more. I agree. Nobody's going to be back to 80, but you could see more balance, but it, it's a, it's a, it's a set market, right? CPUs, yeah. including data center at best 350 million a year. That's, that's a set market, right? For the most part. So economics itself would tell you, right? It's, it's, if you've got to take share, how it's going to, how big your growth is when again, you just don't have adjacencies. You've kind of only got these two product roadmap paths. Yeah. Yep, I so that's, I agree. I agree with all of that except the Intel not losing more share part. <laughs> okay, well, we will see. In a, that will be a good conversation for for a year. Um, the okay, so let's go. Um, let's go to. So let's let's, a little, let's talk a little bit more about um, Qualcomm from some growth areas because we agree with them now. What if if you had to bet? So we know where they're at in smartphones and Cristiano sort of overall, you know, word to the street has always been, you know, diversification of our business. Obviously they, they still have a lot riding on smartphones, very similar to the way that Apple relies very heavily on iPhone revenue, but diversifies Qualcomm's also diversifying. So their other business is automotive, um, IOT with an emphasis on kind of premium IOT, um, being, being some of the adjacencies, which one of those would you think is kind of the greater the greater growth opportunity in the short term as kind of the next big blossoming business that's got a good CAGR on it? I'm going with automotive. Okay. In, in part, I mean, I, near, near term, I, I get a little stuck on near term because near term, maybe it's IoT, but I don't think anybody really understands what their IoT business Com- yes, compo- is that is true. Of. Like that's that a big, that's kind of a big black box. Yeah, uh, but that may you know may, maybe that does well in the near term. Long term, it's it's automotive, and and the only problem with automotive is that those product cycles take a long time. Yep, but they're I, I think they're they're completely crushing it on the automotive side. They're they're winning 
everything. I was just talking to I was talking to somebody at MediaTek about this today, and they were just like in awe of every design one that comes up is is Qualcomm. They have the right product. Nice. They have a coherent strategy. It, it is, um, yeah. It, it's and just I it, think impressive. I, I know we're going to talk we're going to talk automotive at some point, but I think the current ballpark amount of semi content in automotive is like six fifty, seven hundred bucks, something like that, and it's projected to be. I want to say fifteen hundred, somewhere between fifteen hundred two thousand by twenty five twenty six. So doubling roughly semi content and automotive. Okay, I have some problems with those numbers. I'll save those for later. Okay, let's, okay. Let's just use yeah. those. That's that's uh, decent thesis. That was the la- that was the last one I saw from from a bank uh, in terms of estimates. But regardless, it's hard to calculate. But let's just say it's going it's going to grow. It's going to grow significantly. Yes. The yes. amount of semi-content in cars will be a rich, a rich market, and there are only a handful of companies that can get a good portion of that semi-bomb, right? That share of share of content wall, and Qualcomm's one of them. So, um, I would agree with you there. I'm curious, so because you were there, and I'm actually this is a dynamic that has sort of just happened in the last couple of years. So, for anybody who's listening that doesn't know, Qualcomm has two main businesses, QTL, which is their licensing and IP business, and QCT, which is the Snapdragon product business. Now, QTL has remained relatively flat and is projected to stay flat. And the growth engine for the company is now QCT, so products that Qualcomm makes. And I think that's, I think that's really interesting that that shift has happened and that management, most, you know, mostly Cristiano has been pushing on the growth engine being QCT now their product side, but I'm curious, kind of, how do you, how have you looked at that shift, right? Because for a long time, it was always the licensing business was the big beast, and you know products were a part of it, but but that shift has happened, and I think that's, like I said, I think that's super interesting. So I'm curious your thoughts on on that shift. I think some of it is sort of under the hood kind of stuff, because there was a there was even before I was there, there was always this debate going on inside. Like how much credit should QTL get? They're you know they're not doing the R and D work that's driving these patents. QCT, the chips, the product side was saying, oh you know we're we're doing all the R and D. We're the ones who are delivering all the patents that you guys are using to license. And so there there was I think it's at some point a few years ago there was sort of a shift in how they accounted for those things and how they sort of pre, you know presented those numbers. So that's that's a small part of it. But I think more fundamentally. Um, They've just sort of reached a cap. They've reached a limit on how how much how much they can do mm. that. Right? And I think that's mm-hmm. on on the handset side. One, they're up against Apple, who who didn't pay for a long time and still doesn't pay a huge rate. Yeah. Um. And and then you know all all, all their other customers except for Samsung are based in China, where they're operating under um what's a polite way of putting it sort of government suggestions on. What those royalty rates should look like, right? There was that was the whole part of their big settlement with the NDRC ten years ago was right. It's it's capped, was, yeah. It was, it was it's capped. a capped rate, yeah. And so then, and then, and then, you know, the 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 other issue is they're now getting into more things, more devices, PCs, cars, you know, IoT on down the list. And in those contracts, they realized that if they were going to grow in those markets, they had to re- rethink their position on licensing and what that sort of meant in practical terms is they put a cap on a ceiling on 
mm-hmm. what they were, what their royalty would be. Because you you know like in a in a phone, it's five percent of the the bomb of a phone or the FOB cost of the phone. Five percent of a laptop is a much bigger number, and no one was going to pay that. And five yeah. percent of a car is nonsensical, yeah. and everybody knew that. Right. And so as they start expanding, they're much more volumes coming through things that are are under those caps or under those ceilings. And I think that sort of flattens it yeah. out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're totally right. And, I, you know, it, 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 I just, I think it's interesting where I think that's merchanting is the way in which it accelerates the, the product side of, of the business, right. From, from a QCT standpoint, and where where you know where I would have been sensitive to this debate a few years ago, which was and and this came up, I'm sure it came up right when you were there, which was to the degree that you make products that sometimes then compete with those who license your IP to make other products, right? And it's not like people are licensing IP for them to go make CPUs and GPUs and the other things, but there's licenses of other areas of their portfolio where they're going to make products. So that was the rub, but that's completely off the table now. It's really like. QCT is the growth driver. They will productize as many pieces of the pipe that they can productize in order to get more of that share of wallet for every category. And it's full blown now. The growth engine is QCT. Um, It's probably for the best. I I would agree. Last question on Qualcomm, and it was because it's near and dear to your heart, is are they making a tactical error not having a data center CPU. Um, in Cristiano's, uh, in Cristiano's Qualcomm, it, it, I think that is, that is, it, it would make no sense for them to have a data center CPU. Okay. There's no need because, because look at what we've just been talking about. AMD, NVIDIA, all these other companies are building, you know, end-to-end data center solutions, Qualcomm doesn't have any of that, right? They don't have, they don't yeah. have a, a data center CPU. They don't have a GPU. Right. They don't have any networking. Um, there was a point 10 years ago where they could have gone down that path, but they would have had yeah. to build a CPU and then acquire a handful of companies to sort of yeah. cobble it together. And they've, they've, they made the decision not to. And I think uh, they now have a vision of, you know, a direction for the company where they don't need that. Yep. Agreed. Because they, for, for today's cars, they have, they have Snapdragon, which works really well. Uh, eventually, they're going to need something for autonomy. Yeah. But they, they can buy that. They don't need that today. They don't need a data center CPU to get to autonomy. Yeah. Right. And so there's no, there's no point in having it. Yeah. Yeah. My only initial thinking of, and logic was since they have the Nuvia team now, they theoretically could have a good core, but you're right in that there's so many other pieces of that component that they don't have um, that probably muddies the waters. I'll be curious to to see how successful they are on the incumbents x86 on the laptop side with the the CPU part for laptops and see what kind of share and volume they can get uh, of notebooks because that that will be interesting. But again, it's not. You know, they're not going to completely displace massive amounts of Intel or, or AMD, but they could take some share on uh, on notebooks. I, I, I will say this. I think the, the one thing that gives me a little bit of hesitation, a little concern about Qualcomm is 
the way in which they've prioritized tasks for the Nuvia team, right? Because it's it's PCs first, then auto, mm-hmm. and then mobile mm-hmm. last, or maybe auto and mobile are switched. But like PC was the first product they were tasked with, mm-hmm. and I, that I just I don't understand that because like to your point, PCs are they're never going to be a huge number of, of ARM-based Qualcomm CP laptops out there. It's a small market, and it's it's not a growing market. Auto, we can argue, yeah, that's important, but also you got plenty of time. Yep. The company makes what eighty percent of its revenue from things attached to smartphone Snapdragon. Why yep. is that the number one priority? And especially when you look at it in the context of Apple with the N series uh, uh, application processor, like that is what two years ahead of where the current yeah, roughly is. 18 right? months, and, and, two years. Yeah. And, and yeah. that gap has just been growing. Like it's been growing for a long time. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I understand like Apple has all kinds of advantages. They own the software and the hardware and they can, they can have an advantage, but like the thing that concerns me is that Qualcomm management just doesn't seem too concerned about that. Right. And so they're letting Nuvia sort of uh, get to that, get to that eventually. I would have thought that the that Snapdragon and the, having the best processor would be critically important because it um, all of Qualcomm's other customers are competing with Apple, and they're the best silicon they can get. The best application processor they get is two years behind where their biggest competitor is, and so that's a really really bad place for Oppo and Vivo and Xiaomi to be, and. Qualcomm is not in a hurry to fix that. And, and as a result, all of those companies are now building their, designing their own applications processors. They're going to have a hard time with it, but they've sort of been forced into this camp where they have to compete with Apple. And so they're going to build their own chips. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think they're, yeah, you're absolutely right. They're, they're going to, they're going to struggle. It is interesting if you noticed what they did with Samsung in that the new S twenty three 23s are run on a, Snapdragon that is optimized for Galaxy, meaning that it is very similar to what they did with Microsoft and the SQ um, product for Surface, where it's basically throttled up a little bit more efficient, uh, looks to be benchmarking actually pretty well, not that far off from from Apple. Um, I thought that was really interesting, you know, to be honest with you, that that was, I'm I'm not going to say it's semi-custom because I think there's more going on in terms of it's, it's it's accelerated and others might get to use something similar. But I thought that was a very, very interesting approach because that's that's been something I've wondered, you know, for some time. Like look at look at Samsung, for example, right? You knew that Google's Tensor uh, CPU and their Pixel phones was a collaboration with Samsung, just a spef- beefed up version of Exynos. And how... Qualcomm and or others need to do maybe more like this, right? To give some specific differentiation, some tweaks and customizations in order to do exactly what you said, which is help compete with um, uh, with Apple, I, I think is actually really interesting. I, I'm not, you know, not, not enough for me to say, hey, it's a big trend, but it's interesting enough that I took note. Like, is this is this kind of what you need to do now as a as a merchant vendor? to help your customers more differentiate in these pockets where competition is super rich, right? Especially with Apple. Yeah. I, I think, I think we're getting to the heart of the problem, which is not, it's, it's none of these companies. It's, it's Google is the, is the real root of the issue, right? Because 
You mean Apple's Android? Advantage? Well, no, yeah, Android. Because Apple's okay. advantage is that it ties the silicon to the operating system so tightly. Yeah. And to for Qualcomm or anyone to do that, they would need to get Google to engage. And I think that's the root. Of, that's that's the heart of it. Is that Google with more optimizations? Google, yeah. Google Google just doesn't seem inclined to do that. They don't. They. I mean, like, I don't think they know what to do with Android. Um, it's it's a it's a messy problem for them. It's expensive and it's not really you know. It's not directly revenue generating and it's, you know, it's Google, they have a short attention span. And so I, I, it's always mystified me for why Qualcomm and Google aren't much closer. Um, and there's, there's all kinds of reasons for it. Some strategic, some personal, um, but it's, it, it's just a weird, like you'd seem, you, you'd think that like, you know, Google Android plus Qualcomm Snapdragon would be the Wintel of, of the that's, mobile era, yeah. but it's never, yeah. never gone down that path. That's an interesting take. Interesting takeaway. All right, we will leave it at that. We've talked about the power brokers. I'm glad there was some uh, debate and disagreement that makes for more engaging. Um, it, listeners had asked uh, how to comment. Um, I think, you know, two things. One, you can always just send us feedback or questions on Twitter, but also, you know, I've said this before, we have a YouTube channel. You want to look at our our wonderful faces. I'm scraggly at the moment from uh, being sick and not shaving in a while. But you can comment at, on our YouTube uh, on our YouTube uh, channel, and we can talk there. So that's alternate options. But uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Good talking. All right. Have a good one, everybody, and talk to you next week. <laughs>